anchored by our maritime history and shaped by the ocean, Halifax, Nova Scotia is a breath of fresh, salty air. Humble, vibrant, and surrounded by natural wonder, it's an ecosystem for innovation and the ultimate backdrop for your event. This is the Discover Halifax podcast, a podcast about the unique and unparalleled local expertise, innovation and infrastructure of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Welcome to the Discover Halifax podcast. I'm your host, Paul Bailey, and today we're going to be talking collaboration, leading the globe in research and finding new roads. With me today is Dr. Alan Finley. Dr. Finley is a pediatric anesthesiologist who's worked for almost 30 years in pain research and management. He's a professor of anesthesia, pain management, and preoperative medicine at Dalhousie University, and is cross-appointed as a professor of psychology and neuroscience. He holds the inaugural Dr. Stuart Wenning Chair in Pediatric Pain Management at the IWK Health Centre in Halifax, and he's also the Director for the Centre of Pediatric Pain Research. He's published over 130 papers in peer-reviewed journals and has lectured widely with over 300 invited presentations across six continents. And the best part, he's right here in Halifax. Dr. Finley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm super excited about this for a couple of different reasons. But the one thing that I certainly took away from everything I've read as I've researched pediatric pain is the fact that it's such a cross collaboration across so many different lines. And I know we're going to get into that today. But before we do, let's start with a really easy one. Alan, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got here today. All right. A long, long time ago in a star <laughs> system far, far away. Now, I'm a professor of anesthesia or anesthesia pain management and perioperative medicine as the department is fully named and uh, cross-appointed in the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience at Dalhousie. I'm a pediatric anesthesiologist, so I've been working at the EWK since I came back from residency in 1986. So it's been a wonderful but long haul. I grew up in Halifax, went to Dalhousie for my undergrad and uh, did my and, and med school and then went to Toronto for my residency training. I got hooked into pain management, pain treatment, a little bit in my residency and then more after I started seeing kids in the hospital at IWK. There was no formal training for pain management at that time, so I'm basically self-taught, which is different from the majority of people who are newer practicing this now because there are formal training programs for pain as part of anesthesia residencies or through pediatrics residencies or in psychology and physiotherapy and nursing. Those disciplines have, have incorporated this into their training programs. So that's one of the big advances over the last 40 years. I got interested in pain because of one patient who had uh, a four-year-old who had cancer, and I was very involved in her care and made a difference, and 
Then I made a connection with Patrick McGrath, who a, was a professor in psychology at Dalhousie and had just started the PhD program in clinical psychology there. But Patrick wrote the first textbook on pediatric pain ever in 1987. So that's pretty recent with his uh, late wife, Anita Unruh. And that inspired me. And I went and knocked on his door and said, hi, uh, I'm interested in this. Can we work together? And it proved to be a very fruitful partnership. Since then, we had wonderful students working with us, including Christine Chambers, who is now a huge leader in pediatric pain and in research in psychology, and a host of others through the years. We built the Pediatric Pain Research Lab, now called the Center for Pediatric Pain Research, and at the same time built a clinical pain program to treat acute pain from surgery and cancer and other things that happen in the hospital, along with a complex pain clinic, which treats children who are outpatients but have long-standing or persistent pain problems. That has been a model uh, for other centers across Canada. It's multidisciplinary, so it incorporates a physician, a clinical psychologist, a physiotherapist, and an advanced practice nurse as the essential components who meet with each patient all together and then individually to deal with problems of ongoing nerve pain, uh, widespread pain or fibromyalgia type uh, issues, uh, recurrent headaches, recurrent abdominal pain, and a host of other things. And that's grown, and we've got three physicians and a number of other uh, members of the other disciplines who do wonderful work in caring for these kids. Key to my success in research and clinically is always to find people who are smarter than me to work with and collaborate with other people. I'm quite proud of the fact that every one of my publications is authored by people from different disciplines. There's none of them are, that are just in anesthesia as a discipline. So that's been a core principle that you have to work with other people because nobody can know everything. One of the things that have come up on the podcast in the past is the fact that everyone here in Halifax seems to have this innate ability to form relationships across different, be it professions or areas of study or areas of expertise. And it, it certainly seems like your history up till this point has been built on that innate ability to cross those various lines, which seems to be something very challenging to do, but we do it here so well. I think we do. It is partly the nature of the area of pediatric mm. pain as a whole mm -hmm. because you know, people aren't competing with each other in the same way to, and everybody recognizes that they don't have all the answers themselves. Right and that we work better if we work together. Mm -hmm. And it's also more fun because we learn from each other. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and mm. I still learn every clinic, every time I see a patient, every time I'm involved in a research project with people from other disciplines, I learn new things. 
So that's pretty exciting. Well, and based on where you hang your hat, maybe we'll back up just a little bit mm-hmm. here and, and talk a little bit about Dalhousie University as well as the IWK. Because what I find so interesting for those who are not from Halifax is that if you were to go down University Avenue, on one side of the street is the medical school for Dalhousie University, and on the other is the IWK and uh, the Women's Hospital, and it's it's all right there. Mm. So I can imagine that you probably crossed that street multiple times <laughs> over the course of a day or a week. Well, we're very fortunate. I mean, to start with Halifax as a whole mm. is the biggest city east of Quebec in Canada, but it's still a small city. So you can walk around and get to everywhere really on foot. Within the hospital and university system, that's even more true. Dalhousie University is a major research university in Canada, but it's still a manageable size, unlike some of the big, big universities west of us, the Western provinces Mm. like Ontario. And then the IWK is the tertiary or quaternary health care hospital for the maritime provinces for pediatric care mm. and obstetric and women's health. But it's still small enough that I can talk to almost anybody by going down the one flight of stairs or down a hallway or meet them in the cafeteria. So again, it's not hard to collaborate and communicate either in clinical care or in research. And then, you know, we're part of other organizations. Uh, So Solutions for Kids in Pain Mm -hmm. is a program developed by Dr. Christine Chambers, who's uh, one of my colleagues and a member of our uh, research center. But this, uh, the Solutions for Kids in Pain was developed because of the realization that clinical research findings can take many, many years to be incorporated into clinical practice, Mm -hmm. as long as 17 years, which is a whole cohort of children uh, for some things. So SKIP, as we call it, was developed to take the research findings about children's pain and then translate them into usable and accessible information for clinicians and people caring for children, but also for parents and for policymakers in order to make sure that this research doesn't go to waste. Right. So it's based in Halifax and across the street from the IWK, mm-hmm. but we have hubs in Ottawa at Children's Healthcare Canada, which is an overall administrative organization for all the children's healthcare facilities in the country, at St. Justin in Montreal, Children's Hospital, at Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto, and at the Stollery Children's Hospital in Edmonton, with other centers like BC Children's and Alberta Children's in mm-hmm. Calgary also interested as in being part of this in a less involved Mm. way. So Skip has been going for a few years now and has been very successful in establishing a portal for people to access this information and promote good healthcare uh, in terms of pain management across the board. 
So the one thing that I certainly hung on as as you were talking about that is the idea that policymakers are engaged in this as well, which that's sometimes part of the problem in terms of taking something from the lab or from the desk or wherever it happens to be and then actually getting it through for meaningful policy to be made mm-hmm. and then execute it. So one of the major uh, activities mm-hmm. in that regard that Skip has been involved in, being led uh, largely by Dr. Katie Burney, who's in Calgary but is a Dalhousie psychology mm-hmm. PhD graduate, is to work with the Health Standards Organization. So hospitals work to a set of standards. Standards are developed by HSO, but applied by a separate organization, Accreditations Canada, Mm. who visit hospitals every five years or so to ensure that they are meeting standards across a whole range of aspects of care. For the first time, we're developing a pediatric pain standard for hospitals in Canada with HSO. So uh, Skip is the engaging partner in Mm. this, which will then hopefully become a standard to be applied for accreditation of hospitals across Canada. And actually, Canadian accreditation standards are also used by hospitals elsewhere in the world Mm -hmm. because they're assumed or evaluated as being so good that if a hospital in Brazil can say, we meet Canadian hospital standards, then they will become highly regarded. So this is one aspect of that exciting opportunity to deal with policy and with care at a larger level, a higher level than just day-to-day in Mm -hmm. individual units. And once again, this is one of those places where we've got local Haligonians really leading the charge, which once again, I think that kind of breaks what some people would assume, which is that it only comes from the large cities and then boils down. Mm. In this case, as we were talking about earlier, you know, Halifax is a, a smaller town. I use town just because it seems to, it feels right for me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a town of near a half million people. Uh, with that said, though, it is smaller relative to the size of some of the larger thought centers. And yet we're the ones driving the change here. It's been very exciting to be part of this. As I implied, you know, with the first textbook on pediatric pain mm-hmm. being written, published in 1987, this all pretty recent. This is within my career, my career lifetime, which is very cool. Again, led by Patrick McGraw, we started a program funded by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research to train researchers in pediatric pain. So this was our so-called pain in child health training program, which brought in graduate students and postdoctoral fellows from a range of disciplines, but many from psychology and nursing, to learn about research techniques that could be used to do pediatric pain mm-hmm. research. And the core group of faculty were Patrick, me here, Celeste Johnson in Montreal, Bonnie Stevens in Toronto, Carl von Bayer in Saskatoon, and Ken Craig in Vancouver. Uh, and then in later iterations, others joined. And we had hundreds of 
students go through this, not only from Canada, but also from other countries funded externally, to meet, to train, to uh, visit each other's labs, to learn from each other, and to develop networks and relationships that persist to this day. And that has been hugely productive. In 2012, there was a report on the state of scientific research in Canada. And the primary, the top node of research topics in Canada was pediatric and neonatal pain. Ahead of oil and gas research, wow. chemical research, all sorts of other areas. And at that time, Canada had produced 15% of the world's publications on children's pain. So that's punching well above our weight. A absolutely. <laughs> and this has resulted, a lot of that's resulted from pitch, from pain in mm -hmm. child health, which resulted from Patrick McGraw's vision and the fact that we had this group of collaborating faculty right across the country who were all working together, mm -hmm. weren't competing with each other or fighting with each other, and producing students who would do the same thing and have the same attitudes. Um, and that's had a worldwide effect. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was based in Halifax as well but again, was a cross-country partnership just like Skip is. Right. I think that's the important part here as well. I, I'm certainly mm -hmm. wanting to see everyone bring their conference to Halifax, but when you start looking at the country that is Canada, we punch above our weights in several areas, but this area is one that I've only dug into recently as I've gotten to know you as well as some of the conferences that you're associated with, which we'll certainly talk about. The size of the node here in Halifax, it strikes me it's gone from nothing to something quite substantial in a very short period of time. Like you said, you know, we're, we're talking late 80s where this really, the, you know, the spark occurred. What's the node look like here in Halifax now? So the Center for Pediatric Pain Research based at the IWK mm -hmm. currently includes as faculty me, I... I'm the nominal director, although that doesn't mean I tell anybody what to do. <laughs> Just somebody has to do it, has to have that title. Uh, Christine Chambers, mm -hmm. Margot Latimer, who's a professor in the School of Nursing at Dalhousie and holds the chair in Indigenous Nursing Health, hmm. who's run a brilliant program working with those communities to look at pain in Indigenous youth and formed tremendous partnerships with the Mi'kmaq health authorities mm -hmm. in Cape Breton and elsewhere in Nova Scotia and the Maritimes, and really has connections across Canada and worldwide. Marsha Campbell-Yo, who's also a professor in nursing, whose focus has been on neonatal pain and has created a tremendous program in preventing pain in newborn and premature babies, including a Shane NICU program to give parents access to their newborns when they're in 
the neonatal ICU for prolonged periods from outside mm. and many other innovations uh, promoting kangaroo care, skin-to-skin care, and sucrose for painful procedures, which, as you may know, uh, newborn babies pr- who are premature can have dozens of needle procedures on their first day of life, mm-hmm. which has profound effects on them not only through that neonatal period, but even into adulthood. So it's very important to deal with that, and Marsha's work has been tremendous that way. Uh, Jill Chorney, who's a psychologist, uh, has run a long-term study of post-surgical pain with major uh, spine surgery, and in addition has created a program to improve the hospital experience for children with autism spectrum disorder. So uh, establishing a way of ensuring that everybody knows how an individual child wants to communicate, what sort of interventions they want or don't want, and uh, how to improve their whole experience coming into the operating room or coming to an inpatient unit. So that's our current mm-hmm. um, yep. faculty. Patrick uh, McGraw is still on our list and has moved to Ottawa mostly and, and is uh, doing more research in mental health. Right. And then we have an associate member, Dr. Paula Forgeron, who's on faculty at University of Ottawa, but does research on peer relationships, friendships, and loneliness in teenagers with chronic pain which again is an area that very few people have looked at properly, but mm-hmm. is significant. Adolescents with chronic pain may look just like any other kid, but are suffering pain that either comes and goes or is there all the time, right. which makes it very difficult for them because other people don't understand what mm-hmm. they're suffering because they don't have any obvious problem that you can look at and, and identify. So that's our crew at the moment, and we're looking in the next few years to really expand that because mm-hmm. uh, some of us apparently are aging a bit. So no, I'm told that, that's not true. I, I, I had, <laughs> so I'm told. <laughs> I, I had Doctor uh, Zachary Zemeron talking about aging and the influence of the environment uh, a few podcast episodes ago, and to be honest with you. I'm not convinced aging is a thing. He seems to believe otherwise, but we'll certainly go from there. It's interesting what you say, though, about pain and behavior. My oldest of my two girls had a condition where it took us a while to figure it out. But once we did, she was able to much better you know, articulate back, I feel normal. And we saw it in behavior and we saw it in everything mm-hmm. else where she was much more open to learn, much more open to everything else. And I, I tend to share a little bit about my girls on the podcast from time to time, anyone who listens to them all. <laughs> uh, number one, thank you. But number two, you'll hear a little bit about my girls. Mm. So I can certainly understand that. But the other area that I found so interesting was you spoke about indigenous health and how that's a whole area kind of onto itself as it relates to pain, but but just about everything. Maybe if you don't mind just elaborating a little bit on that, because you know that's certainly something of interest and it's certainly mm-hmm. something that's probably a little bit of new way to think. 
especially seeing as right now, you know, we're on the land of the Mi'kma'ki here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And it's certainly something where I think only recently, and you can correct me on this because I know very little about it, but it certainly seems to be a spot where we're trying to better understand that. Yeah. Margot, of course, is the expert on this Mm -hmm. and works closely and totally equally in collaboration with community representatives. And we are all very strongly of the belief that, as the indigenous population would say, nothing about us without us. Yes. And there is a very unpleasant history in medical research of people doing research on indigenous groups, not just in Canada, but in all over the world, uh, without sharing it, without it being collaborative. So all of Margot's work is done in total collaboration. And when she gives a talk at a conference, it's never by herself. It's always in collaboration with one of her uh, community colleagues from the indigenous uh, groups. Language and expression is embedded in culture and culture is embedded in language. And the indigenous languages frame these experiences differently than the European culture does. There is no specific word for pain in Mi'kmaq language. And the way it's framed is different. So it involves a particular type of understanding Hmm. And as you know, the uh, Mi'kmaq population in Nova Scotia and and the Maritimes certainly, and the indigenous populations across the country have been poorly treated by the health care system over the years. And there's been a failure to understand problems that Mm -hmm. they're trying to communicate, which has resulted in a totally reasonable mistrust Mm -hmm. amongst indigenous people of white healthcare providers. And so developing better ways to communicate and to understand the description of pain and the occurrence of pain is critically important. And that's the work that Margot and her colleagues have been doing. And once again, that work, what you just described there, couldn't take place if it was one individual with one area of expertise. Uh, you spoke about language, you spoke about history, you spoke about culture, and so many other factors that truly have to be addressed for you to map out a solution, which I, I find to be absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. Because at the end of the day, I work for Discover Halifax, and my role is, is bringing conferences and it's a very cut and dry role. But the minute I start understanding more about what folks are doing in Halifax, it's it's mind boggling. And the fact that here is a group that exists in Halifax right from the get-go, right from the beginning, back in 1987, I think you said. You know, that's that's something there's something to be said for that. Because of that, where, where do you see your research going? What are the big things that you have planned over the next couple of years if this whole aging thing is truly taking place? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, one of the strengths of our group, I think, is that we're all doing different things. Mm. And I've actually 
done research in many different areas with colleagues and currently sort of share in other people's work or help where I can. And as I said before, you know, connect with smarter, younger and smarter people than me in order to provide a perspective that Mm -hmm. they seem to find useful, which is great. I've had an interest over the years in health service delivery. In other words, the problem is not how much pain medication to give a child. The problem is how to get people to give pain medication to a child. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the problem of providing services for pain care. And I've done research in Brazil, Jordan, Thailand. I've worked with colleagues in China and India and other places to help develop programs that would provide care for children, ensure that pain is recognized, ensure that it's measured and assessed properly, and develop programs that can be used to care for acute pain in hospital and even to build uh, clinics that work in a multidisciplinary way to manage the incredible population of kids who have pain outside hospital. There's up to 20% of kids have some type of persistent or recurrent pain. Mm-hmm. And even somewhere between 2 and 5% have pain that is so severe that it interferes with their school attendance, their social life, their social development. And when you look at the population of the Maritimes, for example, that's an awful lot of children. Mm-hmm. Yes. And two colleagues that we trained here in Halifax from Bangkok have just got the first pediatric chronic pain clinic in Thailand underway in the last year. That's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's been my major interest, mm-hmm. not the biochemistry or doing research on rats, which somebody needs to do, but not me. Um, But figuring out how to apply the knowledge we already have Mm -hmm. to providing better care, better services for children around the world. Are you ready to jump in and learn more? Stay tuned for the second half of the conversation. And then visit www.businesseventshalifax.com to get the full story on why Halifax, Nova Scotia makes perfect sense for your next event. Well, and and you've been uh, very much a, I'm going to call it an integrator, a bringer together of people in this space. Um, We had a chance to sit down a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about one of the conferences that you're bringing to Halifax, which we'll talk about shortly as well. But we talked about uh, how you used to be, uh, you used to bring folks down to White Point uh, Resort, which is just uh, south of the city of Halifax on the uh, on the Atlantic Ocean. And, and that, you know, bringing them together. And, and maybe you can tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. So we, uh, Patrick and I started the so-called International Forum on Pediatric Pain, in 1996, 
because we'd been talking about academic conferences and we realized that a lot of the most interesting stuff that happened in those major research conferences happened in the hallways, mm-hmm. not in the lecture halls. <laughs> it was people getting together and chatting and talking about things. And we also recognized that some of these sessions that you know had 10-minute or 15-minute talks they were just too short to give enough information to really get your teeth into. So Patrick said, well, why don't we have a conference? And we started this series, and we had the first one at White Point Beach Resort, Mm -hmm. which is a lovely place, an hour and a half or so from Halifax or, or from the airport, and was size limited because of the size of the resort, so we... You had a maximum of about 150 people, which is small for a, an academic research meeting. But it meant that everybody was in one room listening to the same lectures and having the same discussion. We had lectures that were 50 or 55 minutes long and then a discussion period and then a coffee break. So there was lots of chance opportunity for mm-hmm. networking. It was also quite successful because we would often bring people down from the airport by bus, you know, a chartered bus, which meant once we got them there, they couldn't escape. (laughs) And everybody ate together, Mm -hmm. everybody walked in the beach together, everybody hung out in the bar after dinner together. And I don't know how many grant ideas were developed in the lounge at White Point Beach over those years. But it, I think it was substantial. So we had that uh, every two years, maybe with one skip, till 2017, I think. And for many people, it was their favorite conference to right. attend. And they would pick that over one of the major society conferences mm-hmm. uh, just because it was so much fun. It was this sort of event where a first-year graduate student could sit on a rock on the beach with the world expert and say, but what do you really think about such and such? Which would never happen in a major Congress because the faculty member would be too busy or have to go off and do another lecture or committee meeting. Right. And the faculty loved it because they got to talk to each other, which doesn't happen at major meetings because there's multiple sessions going on at the same time and they don't get to meet each other. So it was tremendously successful. It filled a niche that wasn't filled. Mm -hmm. We stopped doing it after 2017 or so, partly because by then there were a lot of other meetings and learning opportunities and conferences for people to go to in this area. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't quite the same need, although people miss it (laughs) still. And it was a lot of work because it was Mm -hmm. done totally internally. It wasn't done by any major society or association, and we didn't have any significant outside funding to support it. So it was basically done off the sides of our desks by us and our our staff. But it was a wonderful experience, Mm -hmm. and uh, we went back to White Point Beach every year because – We asked in the evaluation whether people wanted to go back there in the first couple of events, 
And everybody kept saying yes. And then we stopped asking and we just booked it for every two years. And we signed the contract as we were leaving for two years later. So uh, that was great. Mm -hmm. And it was a wonderful experience for people. Uh, Anybody who knows Waypoint knows how delightful and relaxed Mm -hmm. a location it is. Nobody was allowed to wear a suit and tie, but the science had to be rigorous. And that was our philosophy all along. So we had that experience. And then that comes, I guess, to the one we're planning now. Yes. So in 2023, you're back here with, I think the number I saw was upwards of 700, if I recall. Uh, That's what we're hoping for. So the International Association for the Study of Pain Mm -hmm. is the worldwide organization of pain scientists and clinicians. And that includes everybody from people who study molecules and biochemistry up to people who study social interactions of populations and epidemiology and the clinicians who depend on this information to care for patients of all ages. About 7,000 members worldwide and uh, the Canadian Pain Society, for example, is a national chapter Mm -hmm. of the International Association for the Study of Pain. In addition to those national chapters, there are the cross-cutting special interest groups. So the special interest group on pain in childhood is one of the more active ones. And uh, that group has an international scientific meeting every two years. Um, The 2021 edition of that has actually happened in 2022 Mm -hmm. in March because of pandemic delays and was fully virtual. But previous to that, it's been in Basel and before that in Kuala Lumpur and before that in Seattle, before that in Stockholm. So it gets all over. Mm -hmm. We are thrilled that Halifax was chosen as the site for the 2023 conference, which will be in uh, the beginning of October of that year, which, of course, as many of you know, is a beautiful time in Nova Scotia with the leaves changing and usually nice, if sometimes brisk, weather. So we're hoping to bring somewhere between five and 700 Mm -hmm. people to Halifax for that conference. Looking forward to the new convention center, which is gorgeous. And I think will be a novel experience for people because everything is in such close proximity in Halifax. You don't have to take a bus or a cab to get around, get from accommodation to the conference. And even the conference center is so nicely designed Mm -hmm. that people don't have long walks to take to get from one session to another. So we're excited about this. And I think because people have been starved of in-person networking for the last two years, we're hoping that there'll be a large, enthusiastic uh, crowd interested in attending it. The theme of this is uh, Better Together, Innovations Through Partnerships, which I guess, as we've discussed, uh, embodies my 
attitudes towards research and clinical care mm-hmm. over my career. And uh, we'll be bringing good science. We're also going to make this a patients-included conference, which means that there will be either patients or caregivers, parents for the most part, of children with pain who have an active role in designing the program and presenting at the conference and so being part of every stage of development. So that's coming uh, October 1 to 5, 2023, and we're looking forward to it. I think the whole city looks forward to any conference coming. Like you said, with everything that we've been through over the past few years, I definitely agree there's a pent-up energy and excitement around seeing new people in the downtown core once again. And since it's such a tight downtown core, uh, you know, a conference of several hundred has the ability to really take over the downtown, which is great. I just want to back up a little bit there. You said patients included, and that strikes me as something that's kind of a little unique. I, I, I don't know how commonplace that is, but including them, I see so many different benefits of having them included from the get-go, be it a caregiver, be it somebody who's been through care themselves. So yes, this is a relatively new concept. In fact, when the Canadian Pain Society annual scientific meeting was hosted in Halifax in 2017, I think, it was a, it was a patients included conference, okay. and and in fact, members of our group were part of that organizing committee. It is a a newish trend, mm-hmm. but it's been recognized not just in pain conferences, but in other disciplines and other areas that failing to listen to the voice of the people who depend on the research for their own care or their loved one's care is a big mistake Mm -hmm. that we need to listen to them to understand how to focus the research, what the implications of the research are, how to improve our care, and uh, make sure that what we're doing actually is for patients' benefit, not just for ours. So when you're hosting a conference like this, I'm assuming that, you know, there's funding that has to go into it and there's other challenges as well. We've had a chance to talk about some of those, but maybe this is a great place to delve into that a little bit because this is an area that has a whole bunch of unique thinking, but I'm imagining a whole bunch of unique challenges around the space, whether it's others having knowledge about it or the application of treatments, but a whole bunch of different pieces that come into this. So for you organizing a conference like this, you know, what are those big challenges? So a conference like this is obviously challenging to put together. We can't charge individual attendees the full cost of what it would take to run the conference because they can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Yes, some of the attendees are physicians who have very respectable salaries, but we have people in healthcare who are paid at much lower scale, nurses, physiotherapists, social workers, and students, because it's so important to have students from all those disciplines attend these 
conference because that's where the new ideas and the future of research will come from. So we always do need sponsorship Mm -hmm. from external sources, from the city, from the universities, potentially from other industries who may be interested in promoting this kind of work Mm -hmm. and uh, who see their role as corporate citizens in helping disseminate the research to supporting it to making life better for people. Yeah, it seems like you've got that challenge of the chicken and the egg. I think you probably have folks that you could go to, but maybe it's something where the research and the time, because before this podcast, we were talking a little bit about how sometimes the process takes 17 plus years from that genius moment through to a a comprehensive and well-contemplated statement, thesis, whatever it happens to be conclusion. So I can only imagine, be it pharmaceutical companies, be it folks within even government to a degree, this is a new area. Yes. And remember that many aspects of caring for children in pain, preventing pain in children, are not drug treatments. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a an industry source right. that would see it as advantageous to market themselves at something like this. Mm-hmm. Unlike some medical conferences where the treatment is all drug related mm-hmm. and it's a big part of marketing for individual companies. So we're in a bit of a, a zone there where we don't have that kind of pharmaceutical industry support. It also means we're not influenced by pharmaceutical industry, which is probably a good thing. But we still have to bring people together so that they can meet and talk and network and develop new ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, That includes psychological approaches, physical approaches, use of some medications that may have been around for decades and aren't owned by a particular company and therefore no company has an interest in selling them. Uh, So we do need to ask Mm -hmm. for help, but we hope that there will be uh, groups, whether government-related or corporate-related, who see this as an opportunity not only to support this goal of preventing pain in children, but also of uh, promoting our area and bringing people together in Halifax and Nova mm-hmm. Scotia, uh, which obviously has huge economic benefits for the city and the province. Speaking of preventing pain, I'm going to start trying to wrap things up here. But uh, before I do that, you know, what does the next five years look like? I, and I know this, I didn't see you bring a crystal ball today, but you know, based on what you know and where things are going, what do you see as the next steps? I will say I've seen tremendous changes over the course of my career. Hmm. When I started, people didn't even recognize that young children and babies felt pain or felt it significantly. As time progressed, people started to understand that it was felt, but they didn't know how to assess it, how to measure it, how to identify it. It's a crying baby crying 
because it's hungry or it's misses its mother or its diapers wet or is it in pain? And a lot of the work done in our group and by other colleagues across the country have helped develop ways to identify those situations, to measure pain, to understand the reasons why we might or might not get an accurate report of pain from a child or from a parent. So that's gone a long way to raise awareness. Even after people started being aware of pain, there was, again, a delay in developing ways to prevent pain and to treat it. Even what many people think of as something insignificant like needle pain was ignored for many years. We now know of good psychological ways of distracting pain and of drug-related ways, in other words, a topical cream-type anesthetic that numbs the skin, and how to put those together so they work together efficiently. And if you think that's unimportant, think about the fact that fear of needle pain affects vaccination hesitancy, and that can go right into adulthood. So not all, but a significant part of those people who are reluctant to get vaccinations, a particularly pertinent point in the last year, is because of painful needle experiences in the past. And when parents feel that, then they pass on those fears to their children and it goes on and on and on. So that's been a dramatic change. People are understanding the importance of preventing even those sort of insignificant pains because they're not really insignificant. The same things have happened to surgical pain and then types of persistent and chronic pain. So there've been tremendous advances. We still have gaps. We don't have perfect answers to pain from injury or cancer or disease or surgery. We do better than we used to, Hmm. but it's not perfect. We're learning how to use a combination of effects and combinations of drugs instead of just depending on giving bigger and bigger doses of a single drug like morphine. That has to continue to improve, but we're seeing advances every day. And that's being recognized as an issue by clinicians and they're understanding better and better how to manage the problems. I have a colleague in Toronto at York University who's working on machine learning and artificial intelligence and identifying pain in babies to enhance our ability to recognize that beyond what we can just tell by watching. Although, as I said, we're doing a better and better job Mm -hmm. at all of this, it's not a better job everywhere. In our hospital, I think there are still gaps, and in many hospitals across Canada and many, many more hospitals around the world, there are gaps in terms of how pain is prevented and how pain is managed. That's partly what SKIP is there for, to try and distribute the information, but obviously we need to do that better. We're hoping that this uh, health standard 
for accreditation. We'll ensure that hospitals have the best understanding of what they need to do as a system because just teaching an individual clinician, whether physician or nurse or any other healthcare worker, is not enough if their hospital system doesn't support them Mm-hmm. to provide yeah. the care that they know that they should give. And in fact, if somebody knows what they should do and they're not allowed to do it, it's exceptionally frustrating and depressing for them because they know they could give better care. So the system has to be developed to support them, to allow for them to provide the care, and to ensure that it's done on a system-wide basis, that it's routine Hospitals everywhere, it's routine to wash your hands all the time. It's routine to keep patient information confidential. And patients expect that, other staff expect that, and it will be called out if it doesn't happen. Failure to provide pain care needs to be treated the same way. So that's the big systems jump that has to happen. On the other side, the you know approaches to pain care clinically in hospital are always developing. We're using different types of nerve blocks. We're using different combinations of medications that are more efficient, cause less side effects, help kids get better faster, recover from their surgeries Mm -hmm. faster. And all of that is happening every day, but we need to make sure it's spread to all hospitals. Right. The majority of children in Canada who get medical care in hospital have that care not in a children's hospital, in community and general hospitals where they get very good care. But we want to make sure that all those hospitals are supported in providing the pain care that they need as well, Mm -hmm. even though they have fewer resources or fewer staff to provide that. I think that that's the big challenge that we have right now in multiple spots within multiple sectors is just that communication of knowledge. And what really excites me is what you are doing with the groups that you're engaged with and the fact that you are integrating and and spreading the word and it's coming from Halifax. So thank you very much for that. And I think it's something where the more stories like this that people hear that are coming out of Halifax... I think not only the better we become in Halifax, but the better we all become. The fact that you're spearheading work that reaches around the globe, the fact that you're bringing a conference here that has been in so many great places around the world and will have those 500 to 700 people here is amazing. But what's truly spectacular is what you've been doing with your colleagues and building this node here in Halifax. So I I want to thank you so much for your time today. And I'm just excited to see what happens next. But this has also been a chance for me to to feel a little bit uplifted as well, because you're looking after some of the most defenseless people in society in terms of little people and children and babies. And if that doesn't warm your heart a little bit, I don't know what does. So thank you, Dr. Alan Finley, for your time today. It's been a pleasure. I'm excited to see what happens next as well. Dr. Finley, thanks for being a part of the podcast today. I know that you're busy and getting you down here to the studio to record and taking you away from the hospital, Dalhousie, and your patients is certainly something that I understand. It's a big ask, and I appreciate you for doing that. 
With that said, I'm looking forward to having you and all the delegates here in Halifax in 2023. And until then, we'll certainly be spreading the word about pediatric pain and all the work that you've got going on with Dalhousie, the IWK, Skip, Child Kind, and more. With that said, I'm Paul Bailey, your host of Discover Halifax's podcast. And until next time, take care. Halifax, Nova Scotia is ready to host you. Whatever you're gathering for, from wherever in the world you are, you'll feel right at home here. Halifax is home to a diverse collection of memorable places to meet and stay. Plus, we have all the collaborators to help your event go off without a hitch. And when it comes to nailing down the details, consider Discover Halifax your partner in planning. Visit www.businesseventshalifax.com to learn more, take virtual tours, and meet Team Halifax. This has been a Podstarter production. production.